Well, good morning. Good morning to all of you, and uh, good morning to those of you over in the uh, worship center there. We're so grateful to come together for the preaching of the Word of God this morning. Go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. If you're one of our guests in either room, I'm Pastor Paul Jimenez. It is great to have you here with us, and we hope you'll come by the Welcome Center afterwards. We have a little gift for you. I'd love just to shake your hand, and it is always good to have guests come. Family of Faith, it's good to see your faces. I hope you've had a good, good week, a, a tumultuous week in the, in the world of politics. We're going to get to that in, in just a second in 1 Peter chapter 2 is going to lead the way. But before we do that, let me express my gratitude and thanks to you. As a body, um, you are generous people. One of our values, we have seven values here at Taylor's, and one of them is we want to be a people who are, are generous in their giving. And that's just not in their time, but also in their resources and with their very lives. But you have given so well over the last few days and over the last few weeks. And I just wanted to highlight that because you deserve um, our thanks for that. And, and personally, I just thank the Lord for you. A couple of ways that's done today is, um, as you saw in the video, maybe before the service, some of you perhaps missed that. Today is Orphan Sunday, where we recognize those who... Um, those children who do not have mothers, who do not have fathers, over 400 in the state of South Carolina alone, over 1,200 available for foster homes. Um, I'm sorry, over 2,700 available for foster homes just here in the upstate. And so some of you already are such a big part of that, whether it's Mission 127 on Wednesday nights. Some of you are fostering right now. Some of you have adopted. Some of you have generously opened your homes and given your lives to children. As we sing the song here in this hour, you're a good, good father. Some of you are just that. And I wanted to thank you for that and keep up the great work. Secondly, Operation Christmas Child. Yesterday was my annual pilgrimage to see some of you in the stores as you fill your shoe boxes. Yesterday, it happens every Saturday before, uh, I'm just sorry, all right, every Saturday before uh, shoebox day. But it is a joy. It is a joy to kind of pivot and turn before all the Christmas stuff begins to think about those kids that have nothing and you are generous and you give. And it's, it's so fun even this morning to see you come in with those shoe boxes and put them around there in the, in the Welcome Center area. So thank you for that. And then thirdly, giving. I want to br bring you up to speed on our 12 for 12 giving and God has been so gracious. God has been so good through you. And uh, this is a, a challenge that I gave to you the beginning of October. And we had 12 weeks left in the year at the time. And I said, could you consider just giving $12, every member, $12 a month extra per week. That's close to $150 for the rest of the year. Some of you can do that in one sitting. Some of you can't. You have to uh, move that out in increments and totally get that. And, and whatever you give, thank you for that. Let me give you just one figure that uh, David David Klein, our executive pastor, gave me this week, and I loved hearing that. The month of September in giving, when we all got back from vacations and school started, and throughout the month of September, our, our average every single week in giving was $87,000. Now, that sounds like a lot, but that's not very good. That's not on par with where we've been before. And so we came to you. And so for the last six weeks, and this week marks the halfway point of the 12 for 12 campaign. That's part of the reason I wanted to share it with you. September, our average was $87,326. The last six weeks, um, because of your participation, we're averaging over $111,000. That's almost $28,000 more a week. And that is a very, 
very good thing. And I'm just amazed by your giving and how you just do it repeatedly, week after week. And you deserve my thanks. And uh, so keep it up. Finish well. Finish well. Christmas is coming. Thanksgiving is coming. There's going to be distractions about where you give. Be faithful. Be faithful not to me or to the church. Be faithful to Christ and watch what he does through us together. That's not a condemnation for those that don't give, those on the outside. It's an invitation for everyone to come in and be a part of giving here at Taylor's First Baptist Church because it is one of our our values. So thank you for that. So this past Tuesday, wow, we, we witnessed a major upheaval in our federal government with the election of Donald J. Trump as president, where the White House and its power not only changes hands, but it changes parties. And that means a lot in Washington, D.C. That, that means major, major upheaval. It was a surprise to many who thought they had a read on the pulse of the country. It was an earthquake that shook the political and media establishes much to the glee of some of you who thought those know-it-alls knew it all, right? And as in any presidential election, the winners are, are awfully, awfully ecstatic. The losers are awfully, awfully depressed and despondent. But it just seems like this past week, we've seen those emotions of winning and, and losing even more amplified, even, even greater. And, and what we need is perspective on that, perspective on winning and losing, first of all. You know, my team, my football team, I'm a, I'm a Michigan man when it comes to football. My football team lost yesterday, right? Hey, if you're a Clemson fan, your team lost yesterday too, all right? Hey, if you're a, if you're a Gamecock, your team has been losing a lot, but they lost yesterday too, right? All right, what we need is perspective on winning and losing. So as I was depressed late last night, just sitting on the couch in a numb state after my team lost, the guy kicked the field goal and, and beat us, and, and they were saying, oh, all of college football is happy because all these teams are, are losing. I was like, I'm not very happy right now. And, um, but this morning as we were praying, really spiritual stuff, we get to the football, right? This morning as we were praying, Daryl said, hey, did you hear about, about that football team in Ohio? Right now. It's like, it's Mount Union. It's a Division Three school. You ready for this? Hope this makes you feel better. All us losers from yesterday, right? 112-game winning streak broken yesterday. How would you like that? They won 112 games. Since 1994, they've won 224 games and lost one. Amazing. So it's all in person. Either they can be down in the dumps or they can say, hey, we're 224 wins out of our last 225 games, right? It's all perspective. And this is what the church needs when it comes to the election. We need perspective. And we need a, a, a gospel biblical perspective on what happened this past Tuesday. Because we know the nation is divided. We know there are people protesting in the streets. Over the past four nights, I don't, you, I don't know if you've watched this. Maybe you're tired of the news and you just shut it all down. Yeah, amen, back there, all right, thank you. You don't want to hear this, fine, there's a door right there if you want to do that. <laughs> no, stay, seriously, stay, don't go, don't go. <clears throat> but here, here, here's the deal, we're, we're a nation divided, protests in the streets, wow. People are angry, people are upset, people are worried, people are anxious, People are, are, are saying, we told you so. Some people are high and mighty. And, and we have, what we have is a nation divided. And what we need 
is a gospel, biblical perspective on what happened this past Tuesday and answer the question, now what? Now, we tried to address it last week, seeing everything through a gospel lens. Step into that voting booth, love God and love neighbor. Did I do that this past week? Did I demonstrate my faithfulness to God and the character of those I elected? Did I demonstrate my faithfulness to my neighbor and my love for my community and, and, and those that I elected? I pulled the lever and we rest. We leave it in the hands of Almighty God. I've got news for you as well. This worry and anxiety, we, we need to be models of people who bring that anxiety and worry and we leave it at the foot of the throne because the king has never lost his throne. Daniel 2 says that he sets them up and he, he tears them down. He says in Isaiah, that the nations, the na nations are a drop in the bucket. So keep that in mind this, this morning. But yet we, we need a perspective. And, and I think we get it from 1 Peter chapter 2. If you're not already there, 1 Peter chapter 2 this morning. And if you don't have a copy of the Word of God, there's one in the pew rack right in front of you there in the worship center. Right here, if you need one, um, our uh, deacons can get you a copy of the Word of God. I love out there meeting guests last week, and someone had a copy of, of the scriptures that we gave you. That is, that is your copy. We love to be generous with that. First Peter chapter 2, and here's what's happening in Peter, and I think this is why it's relevant today. We're not going to get through the whole section. We're going to wrap up our, our series next week, but, but here is um, the Apostle Peter. This just isn't a disciple, a follower of Jesus. This is one of the 12. He's also one of the three, and really, he is the one Jesus has tapped to, to lead the church. And he does that well. And, and we find him writing a letter here to all the followers of Jesus who are scattered throughout the empire. And, and Peter is writing from the center of the Roman empire. He's writing from Rome. And it's an amazing passage, as we'll read it in just a second. I want to set it up for you so it kind of sinks in. And it has deeper, deeper meaning as you, as you see Peter writing this and as you hear about the followers of Jesus as he's writing too. And at this time, Nero is king. Nero is the emperor. He came to the throne when he was 17 years old. And he ruled for 14 years before he took his life at the age of 31. And he was a wicked king. He was a wicked, wicked ruler. He, he, he was a king that, that just pursued whatever passions came to his heart, whatever passions came to his mind. And, and he almost destroyed the city of Rome and he was forced out. Eventually, as I said, took his, his life to escape what was coming his way. Here's this wicked, wicked king who persecuted believers. We'll see that next week. He persecuted believers in the most torturous way. And he is, he is the king. He is the emperor. He's in charge. So, so keep that in mind as we, we read that. Then keep this in mind. The followers of Jesus are not like, like us, us today. E evangelicals. You heard a lot about evangelicals this past week. And, and there, there was a lot of us that voted. And, and so they talked about evangelicals, white and minority evangelicals who voted in this big, these blocks of people. And, and they regarded us as a, as a source of, of having influence in the election. They don't respect us a lot, but they regard us as part of having great influence. Well, in Peter's day, the followers of Jesus weren't really regarded highly at all. They perhaps weren't thought of much because there's not a whole lot of them by the time Peter writes this, just, just 30 years after Jesus leaves. 
And they're kind of thought of as this Jewish sect because Christianity comes out of Judaism, right? It, that, that, that's where it springs up. So they kind of lump them in with the Jews a little bit, but they know they're a little bit different. Rome knows they're different because they have this leader, this revolutionary named Jesus who was a criminal, and Pontius Pilate, one of their own guys, over in, way over there in the backwaters of Judea, Pontius Pilate, as they read the record, put this, put this guy to death who claimed he was a king, but he had no followers in the sense that the Jewish people put him there on the cross. So it's kind of this weird guy, this revolutionary guys over here and 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 so but yet this movement has popped up and they don't really know what this movement is all about but here's what they do know number one that that they are very very suspicious of any movement that is that is picking up some steam and they kind of watching this and seeing this and and and, and in uh, 49 AD just seven or eight years before Peter writes this kind of um, this revolution began to, to pop up. Not a spiritual one per se, but, but something politically happened there in Rome. And the records say that the emperor sees these, these followers of Christ and, and they expel them and the Jews out of Rome because they don't want any, anything happening that would disrupt order and peace. This is what the Romans were all about. So they were suspicious of any kind of movement bubbling up. But then they were suspicious of these, of these men and these women and these boys and girls because um, they, they said that they ate the body of Christ and they drank the blood of Christ. Well, symbolically, we do that when we come to the Lord's table. So they eat this meal and they would honor their, their um, crucified um, leader by drinking this meal. And so they were accused, some of them, of being cannibals. They didn't understand. They accused some of them of, of being incestuous uh, of being sexually immoral because of the great love that they had for one another. They called each other brothers and sisters and there was this incredible affection and love and it was so different and their love was so pure and so good and it was different than, than what the Romans, what they thought of, of, of romance and sex and love and, and they just thought they're sexually immoral people and these are suspicious people. So it, what ends up happening is Nero begins persecuting some of these believers and throughout the empire, persecution is sporadic, but it begins to, to come up. And these followers of Jesus are not trusted, and, they're, and they're, they're, they're looked at as different and odd and strange. And now Peter comes to them, and he says, Okay, with all of that said, I have something to say about your politics, believers. And what does he say? Read with me. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, he says this, be subject. And now listen, with all, I give you all of that so you can take the word and it can seep in. Listen to this. Be subject then for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people and live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. So, verse 17, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Wow, what a paragraph, huh? In light of all that, 
you sense the humility, you sense the submission to God's authority in this. But he gives a word there in verse 17. And I, I want to take those four phrases to this week, to next week, as we wrap up our time in this series, and begin to try and answer the question, now what? What do we do after the election, whether you voted for the Republicans or the Democrats, Independent Party, Green Party, you, you, you wrote in Daffy Duck, whatever you did this past week, now what? And here's what I believe the Word of God says to us. Thought number one this morning, we're going to jump off those phrases in verse 17, honor everyone, honor everyone. And here's what I would add to that. Widen your perspective to care for people not like you. Those two words right there, honor everyone. You might want to just take a circle, a pen and circle. Have a hard copy of your text there or highlight it there in your, your digital device. That word honor everyone. If there's a way that you can draw a line, a way that you can connect it to those two verses ahead of it. Because this is where, where Peter, here, here's how he's thinking. He, he's thinking this, verse um, 15. He says, here's the will of God that you should do good to your neighbors to everyone, to the king. Because some of you, he says, are taking your freedom. You, you are now free. Here was the declaration of Rome. Caesar is Lord. Here was the declaration of the early church. Jesus is Lord and Jesus reigns over all things and over Caesar. Therefore, I'm free from Caesar. But here's what happens. Some of them were taking advantage of the, that freedom and were doing things that were causing disruptions and was causing the name of Jesus to be maligned because they weren't living peaceable, godly, dignified lives as Paul told Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2. And Peter's saying, now no, wait a second, wait a second. He says, you've got freedom, but use that freedom to live as a servant of God. And here's how you're going to do it. Honor everyone. And Peter understood this as he's writing these followers of Jesus. That not everyone in the empire thinks like you do. And that's obvious in Rome. Now here is where, as we try and make application over to us, here is where it's a little bit difficult because it is not so obvious. Let's be truthful with one another. It is not so obvious that there are those people who do not think like us. At least it's not so obvious up close and personal. Here's what I mean by that. We live in a community. We live in a church. We live in a region of the country. We live in the upstate that thinks quite a bit a lot alike when it comes to culture, when it comes to politics, when it comes to even religious stuff. And here is the temptation that I urge you to resist. When Peter says, honor everyone. Remember, he's saying this to a people who are mistreated, to a people who are misjudged, mischaracterized, who are persecuted, who are suffering. And he says, he opens, he says, open your perspective, honor everyone that you care for them and you give them great respect because Jesus is honored when you do that. And here in the upstate, this is hard for us. And here's the temptation that we talk with and we have relationships with and we become siloed with people who think like us politically, culturally, spiritually, whatever it is. 
And here's what we're missing. We're missing that there are people who are not like us that are worthy of our respect, that are worthy of the dignity of the cross of Jesus Christ. And if we're not careful following next Tuesday, no matter what side you fall on, you will climb back into your silo and you will either be extremely joyful or you will be extremely angry and worried simply because you fall to the temptation to cower with people who are just like you. Now, if Peter can tell those Christ followers in Rome, honor everybody. He, he didn't say honor those that are in your small group. He didn't say honor those that go to worship privately with you. He said live lives that demonstrate the freedom that you have as servants of God. Honor everyone. Listen to what this... Um, this president of Biola University, I, I read a lot this week. And one of, the, uh, one of the things that really struck home was this, this, these three paragraphs from the president of Biola University. Biola is a Christian college in Southern California. So they have gone through um, many changes, as you can imagine, culturally and religiously, academically. In, in a state like California, which is incredibly liberal in all those senses, but listen to what he says. I, I love this, all right? Hang in there with me as I read this. And listen, got your ears on? You ready? We must begin on the local level, following Tuesday, in the proximate communities that define our day-to-day -day lives. We must focus on real, tangible relationships with our neighbors, classmates, co-workers, but not just the ones who look and believe like we do. We should prioritize social relationships over social media. Hello? Too many of today's highly charged debates happen in disembodied digital space, divorced from real relationships. Among other things, the internet allows us to surround ourselves with voices that feed our biases and intensify our sense of aggrievement. But what we desperately need in America are more real, in-person relationships with people who are different from us. It's easier than ever to retreat into communities of sameness. And it's certainly more comfortable, but healing will only be Again, when we rediscover the beauty and importance of relationships with people who challenge us, people who we rub shoulders with in our day-to-day -day lives, whose ideas might simply rub us the wrong way. Now that was challenging to hear your pastor today. The, am I guilty of climbing back into whatever political mindset that I have instead of opening up the doors and widening my perspective that as a follower of Jesus, I can declare Jesus as Lord by the way that I respect and love those that are not like me. Think, think of the protests that are happening all across the country. Woke up Wednesday morning and the high schoolers in um, California, I believe it was, they walk out of class, and here, here is where the tug of your heart says, meddling kids, <laughs> you know, who, who they think they are, you know? And, and we look at the protests and all that's going on in these various cities, and it's easy to, to, to adopt an us versus them mentality. It's easy to say they're so rebellious. Could be. Probably is in many cases. But could it be that, that they're restless? 
that they're hurting people and are lost without Christ? Do we see them that way? Peter says, honor everyone with dignity and, and with respect. You want to declare Jesus as Lord politically, there's no greater statement than say, I honor and I respect you. It doesn't mean you agree with everything they say or everything they do. But you want to set yourself apart in this environment? You honor people as Jesus did. Let me, let me show you how this hits home for me this past week. Two instances. One is on election day. And uh, my neighbor was, I was walking the dog. My neighbor comes out. We're just sitting there talking. And he had his um, sticker on. I voted. And so I'm like, hey, what's the line like, right? Is, is it good to get over there now? And he's like, he's like, yeah. And he says, um, I've done my part to make America great again. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, okay. Right, right, right up front there. And, and, he, and here is where I had to step back. Because he doesn't know how I voted or how I was going to vote. But he knows I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a pastor of a church. And here's where I had to say, caution, hold it, hold it. Am I ready to dive down into a political discussion either for or against Donald Trump? Or am I going to honor and respect him and give space and think of my neighbor's soul before I think of either joining or opposing him politically? Like, wow. There's a lot at stake. Second example. Wednesday morning after the election. Meeting with my discipleship group. Seven o'clock at a restaurant. One we've been to for a long time. And uh, we have this great waitress. She's so good. We, we walk in. <laughs> we walk in and she knows what we want already. Either that shows she's really, really good. And I think she is. Or we're really, really boring. That's, that could be it as well. She knows. We love, we've grown to love her. And, and um, she, she's a, a black young woman who um, is in school, and she's fighting her way through school. She's not moving through it real, real quickly, but she just tells us about how tough school is sometimes, and we try and cheer her on. And, and um, she thinks she might graduate in a, in a couple of years, but yet she's every, you know, serving right there. And, and I'm thinking, here's what hit me having breakfast with these guys, and we're talking the election. I mean, it's just a few hours afterwards, and here was the thought, and this thought, widen your perspective. Does she know more by just watching me and looking at me? Does she know more about just what I'm saying and the words I'm saying about a political perspective, or does she know that I love her because Jesus loves her? Honor everyone. Strongest political statement you can make. And Jesus said it like this in Matthew chapter 7. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. So Peter says to believers, to followers and to us, honor everyone. Here's the second thing this morning. Love the brotherhood. Verse 17, love the brotherhood, and I would simply add, renew your commitment to the people of God. Now, you might say, now why, why, Peter, would you stick this in here? Love the brotherhood. 
renew your commitment to the people of God is how I interpret that. Just renew your love for them. Renew, renew the time that you spend with them. Renew the time that you worship with them. The brotherhood, it was this community that Peter knew. Here's what I, I think he knew, that as these followers of Jesus were out there and they're making their way politically and they're making their way under persecution and suffering and all the other things that they're facing in family life and all the things that they're facing with their employment because they're followers of Jesus and all of these other things, here's what he knows, that if the evil one... First Peter chapter 5, if the evil one can come in and isolate and take them and, and put some, some brothers and sisters over here and he can take some brothers and sisters and he can put them over here and he can take some brothers and sisters and if he can dilute the body, if he can scatter the body a little bit, he knows simply by the, the flesh, uh, our flesh that we, we dry up. We, we can dry up and, and it's, it becomes harder and harder for us. Or he knows the evil one can come and take people out. And so I, I think Peter is saying, listen, all you in Rome, as he's ministering to them, all you in the empire, love one another. Jesus said this, listen, a new commandment, John 13 verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And I like this phrase, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. By this, all people in your life group will know. Hey, they probably already know that you love one another. By this, all people and the workplace that know you're a follower of Jesus. Maybe one or two people might know that, but, but maybe not all of them. By this, all people will know when they look at the brotherhood. The family of faith, the church, when they look at, let, let's, let's get down to us. When they look at Taylor's First Baptist Church, what do they see? What do they hear? Do they see us as Paul writes in Romans chapter 12 verse 10? Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago as a setup to how we respond to all sorts of cultural issues. It begins with the brotherhood. Love. Do they see us tripping over ourselves with honor and love and respect? I can't wait to get to you in order to, to build you up, to lift you up. I can't wait to, to get to the body of Christ on, on Sunday to gather, to encounter with one another the presence of Almighty God. Is this our mentality? And Peter is saying, look, in, in these tumultuous times, Nero is king. We don't know if we're going to live. We don't know if we're going to make it. Honor everyone, but you love the brotherhood. Don't forsake the brotherhood. And some of you, here's my fear, some of you get caught up and isolated and you'll wash away because you're not connected to the brotherhood, to the church, to the community. And my heart is that you hear this message. One of recognizing that people are hurting and broken. So we honor them. But some of you are hurting and you're broken. And I want you to be invited in. And I don't want you to run and be repelled by the body. But I want you to be connected to this place so that you can withstand so that when you walk out of here, when you walk back into Rome, when you walk back into that workplace, when you walk back into that difficult relationship, when you walk back into that environment in which the pressure is on and you are ready to bail, whether it's because Caesar says so or whether it's because your employer says so or no matter what it is, you have 
gathered on Sunday morning. You have been encouraged by the word of God. You, your life is being changed. Your soul is being softened. You are finding love and care so that when you go out, you can be different and you can make a difference. That's what loving the brotherhood is all about. It's just not about coming to church. I had a seminary professor who said, one of the greatest political statements you can ever make is simply to get up, get dressed, get in your car, and go to church. I thought that was really good. Here's what he's saying. He's not saying be legalistic about church attendance. You know your pastor's never been legalistic about that. But what he is saying is that when you say Jesus is Lord, there is a desire to love the brothers and the sisters. And you come and you gather and you set aside preferences and you set aside a mentality that says, oh, I'm not so sure. And you just simply come to encounter God and love one another. Some of you are missing that. And is it any wonder that you are missing out on life and the fruitfulness of that life apart from this body as you go out week to week? There are pockets all over the empire of love and care and worship that Peter addressed. And there are pockets all over Taylor's that I think the Holy Spirit might be saying, hey, here's the greatest statement you can make, love one another and endure. Some of you do that incredibly well. Some of you have been so gracious and so kind to this pastor over the last few weeks and months. Oh. And I want our body to feel that love too. Because we need it. I'll end on this story. This past week, uh, it was Veterans Day on Friday, so some of you who are veterans, man, thank you. <laughs> thank you for giving. Thank you for serving. Man, uh, I could vote Tuesday and freely walk into a, a polling station and walk out because of you. And for those that have gone before us, those who have died, thank you for your service. And I read this story uh, with Veterans Day being on Friday. I read this story about a pilot in the Vietnam War named Red McDaniel. Red McDaniel flew jets and uh, carried bombs, and he was uh, on his 81st mission. And the North Vietnamese um, shot him down, parachuted out, they grabbed him, and he was the uh, 200th prisoner of war that the North Vietnamese captured. So they take him, and here's what they, they did to him. I don't know if they did this to everybody, but they took him, and they paraded him around to the villages to kind of raise the morale of the North Vietnamese. And they would dig a hole, and they would drop him in, and they'd strip him, and they would spit on him, and they would throw things at him just to raise the morale of, 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 of the citizens. And then they, they, they picked him up, and they took him, and he graduated, if you will, to the Hanoi Hilton. You know what that is? It's a prisoner of war camp. There were over 220 Americans in this camp. And when they brought him here, here's what they noticed about Red McDaniel. They noticed his faith. That he became a follower of Jesus. He went to Campbell, uh, which is down in um, Bowie's Creek, North Carolina. And then he went to graduate from Elon College. And it was soon after that that he came, became a follower of Jesus. And he shows up and he's, he's obviously got leadership skills because they recognize him as the leader. And the, and the POWs there recognize him as kind of the de facto chaplain. And his cell became kind of the communication point for all of the POWs. 
And there were times when he would suffer as a leader. There were times when um, there were some POWs that tried to escape. They got caught. They came to Red McDaniel. They blamed him for it. They took him out for two weeks, tortured him mercilessly, and he would come back to his cell. But here, here is, here's what caught my attention about all this. Not just the incredible sacrifice, but the brotherhood. The brotherhood. These 220 prisoners of war, they came up with a series of, uh, of taps that they would make on the floor and on the wall. Taps where they began to understand what the other prisoners of war were saying. And, and they got to the point where they began to communicate, can we worship together? Can, can, is there a way that, that we can worship together? And so they approached the North Vietnamese and they flatly said, no, you can't worship together. And, and so what they started doing, instead of tapping, they started singing. And they started singing at the top of their lungs. And they would do this continually. They would do this um, throughout the days, and they would do this throughout the nights. And over time, over time, either they were that pitiful of singers, maybe they were that loud, maybe they were that horrible, but the North Vietnamese relented. And they finally said, stop you're singing. <laughs> you can worship. And you can worship for 10 minutes at a time. Can you imagine that? So they would gather for 10 minutes. And, and Red McDaniel says that they would have a four-man choir. Can you imagine that? Four-man choir. <laughs> and, and they would worship together. Can, can you imagine this gathering? Now imagine the love between these guys. Remember the setting. Prison tortured, unfairly treated. They don't know if they'll live. What do they long for? One another in worship. They long for the brotherhood. And just for 10 minutes, they would worship the Lord together and they would sing. And Red McDaniel would leave that prison six years later. He'd go home to his family. What an amazing reminder. People, People of Taylor's, sheep, what we all need is to honor everyone, to love one another, and make our statement that Jesus is Lord. I hope you can do that this week in a special way. I don't know what it means for you. May the Holy Spirit lead you and guide you to a deeper, deeper, deeper commitment to Christ for others, and for one another. We'll finish our series next week together. Will you pray with me right now? Father, we look at people like Red McDaniel, and we look at people like Peter and Paul, who before a wicked king, before a culture that was so different, said we will yield and we will submit our lives and we look at Jesus who not only a Jewish man in a Roman empire but almighty God who put on human flesh out of honor and respect for his father and love for his people he came to save. 
keep that in front of us, Lord, as we look for ways this week to honor everyone and to love the brothers and sisters that you've given us so that we might endure and that we might declare our allegiance is to you. So, Lord, how you choose to do that, may your Holy Spirit be true. May your word bear fruit. May your word bear fruit this week for the honor and glory of Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.